Welcome to the Value Perspective podcast on decision-making. We're a group of value investors working together on the global value team here at Schroders. As investors, we have to tackle decision-making in uncertain environments every day. In this podcast series, we speak to people from other walks of life who also share the challenge of making decisions in complex and uncertain environments. We cover topics such as how to think in probabilities, tools for overcoming psychological biases, and how we can learn and improve decision-making in complex environments. We hope you enjoy it. This podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any of the funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. On today's episode, we are joined by Maria Konikova. Maria is the author of several books, including her most recent one, The Biggest Bluff, How I Learned to Pay Attention, Master Myself and Win, which she describes her journey as a poker player from amateur to champion within a very short period of time. During her journey, her aim was to understand the role luck plays in everyday life and how to improve decision-making. In this session, we discuss concepts such as the power of variance, how to better communicate messages that carry embedded probabilities, streamline decisions, and optimization of thought process under pressure. We hope you enjoy it. Maria, how are you? Thank you very much for joining us on the Value Perspective podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, very quickly, before I, I ask you the first question, I, I don't know if you're a fan of Seinfeld. Um, I am a huge fan of Seinfeld myself. I am. I am. I think Jerry Seinfeld is incredibly funny, and the show was um, iconic. You know, when it, when it came out, it revolutionized a lot of things about television. So the reason I mentioned this is because when I was reading your book, I, I, I keep rem- remembering um, something about Seinfeld, which was, I don't know if you remember this, but like he, in the show, he's a very successful comedian, but somehow his parents doesn't believe him that he's doing very well <laughs> as a comedian. And they keep telling him to try something else and putting him in contact with uh, friends of theirs for a, a sales position at Bloomingdale's in the 1990s. And his friends doesn't trust him that he's doing very well. I remember in your book that something very similar happened to you and your grandma. She didn't believe that you were actually doing very well with poker. This is very true. Um, and I think in my case, um, the it was not just the fact that, you know, playing poker is not necessarily um, a straightforward profession, the way being a stand-up comedian is not a straightforward profession. But I think that in her mind, as in the mind of a lot of people, poker equates with gambling. And so there's this sense that, oh, this is evil, this is bad. Um, mm-hmm. And I tried many, many times to explain to her that poker actually was not gambling, <laughs> that it was a game of skill, um, and that it was possible to be good at it and to actually make money in the long term. Um, I hope I hope that uh, she will one day come around to my way of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the most interesting sides of your book um, that was quite intriguing for us is the whole concept about thinking in probabilities. And we keep exploring that topic with the different guests that we have, we've had in the podcast is how do you get people to think in probabilities? And the question that I had to you is whether you were already good at thinking probabilities was that something that was very natural and came to you in a very natural way? Or was this something that you had to learn? And if you had to learn, how did you go about it? 
Um, that, that question makes me laugh because, um, no, I was not good at thinking in probabilities. Um, not good at math in general. The last time I took a math class was in high school, so many, many years ago. And as a writer, as a journalist, I've never really had to use it in my day-to-day -day life. I did get a PhD in psychology where I studied decision-making. And one of the things I studied was how bad we are at thinking probabilistically. And every single time I saw that, I was like, yep, that's me. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's one of these things where when you see those studies, um, when you take them yourself, you can train yourself within the context of an experiment to know what the answer is. But then it's such a big leap from going to knowing how to answer an experimental question in the laboratory correctly to actually being able to act on probabilistic knowledge in your day-to-day -day life and your day-to-day -day decisions. And I was certainly guilty of all of the biases that I've learned about and that I've done research on. And I think that this is something that's common even to people who are statisticians, even to people who study probabilities for a living, because studying them is not the same thing as living them. And one of the things you learn from psychology is what I write about um, called the description experience gap. So we learn, there are two ways of learning. You can learn from description. I tell you, you know, there's a 1% chance of this, this is 10%, this is 70, whatever it is. And we learn from experience. It happens to me, it happens to someone else I know, and I internalize that. And the way our brain learns overwhelmingly is through experience and that's what sticks and unfortunately probabilities are not normally or evenly distributed in life probabilities mm. don't look experientially the way they look on paper right we don't live in a perfect bell curve distribution and <laughs> we don't you know if something is supposed to happen 25 percent of the time it's not like it's going to happen the fourth time if it didn't happen the first three times. That's not how probabilities work. And yet we learn from what happens to us. And so we'll overestimate probabilities when we know someone to whom it's happened or when it's happened to us. And on the contrary, we'll understate probabilities when we don't have any personal experience of them and it's always skewed. And so in poker, it was this phenomenal tool that I didn't even realize was going to be so good because you end up learning through experience. You're playing, you're actually sampling, but you're sampling correctly because you're playing thousands and thousands of hands. And so if you actually study the game seriously and know what the probabilities are, you get a feel for, oh, this is what 1% feels like. This is what 5% feels like. There's a huge difference between 2% and 3%. 1% is huge. If I can have a 1% edge, I'm printing money. I want to take that 1% edge every single time. And so you actually learn what it feels like. And that's what taught me to think probabilistically and to be able to actually take that knowledge away from the poker table and apply it to the decisions that I make in my everyday life. Very, you know, a recent example that I think is kind of top of mind for a lot of people is COVID and what our behaviors have been like during this pandemic. And one of the things that I realized very early on was that this was probably going to be bad because 
even though the numbers seemed very small, one of the things I'd taken from poker was, oh, small numbers can actually get bad quickly. There's mm. like exponential growth. This is what this actually looks like. And so I made a very personal decision. I was in um, last February when the pandemic was just kind of starting and hadn't really come to the U.S. Well, it had, but we didn't really know about it at the time. I was in New Orleans um, and I was there for a conference and I was going to be going straight from New Orleans to Los Angeles to play in one of the biggest poker tournaments of the year. And the first cases, the night before I was scheduled to fly from New Orleans to LA, um, the first cases arrived in LA um, and the media had talked to them um, and kind of started covering them. And so it was only a few, it was only a handful, but I actually sat down and looked at the data and kind of decided that the last place I needed to be was a casino. And so I canceled the trip mm. and turned around, went back to New York and New York went into quarantine lockdown, I think three days after I landed. So, um, and I don't think I would have been able to make that kind of decision prior to poker. So what I would tell anyone who wants to learn how to think probabilistically, you learn by doing. And poker, even if you don't, you don't have to become a professional player, but if you actually play a game like that, take it seriously as a way to enhance your ability to think in percentages. I think it's such a huge edge in life. It makes mm. you much better able to manage risk, to understand risk, to make decisions that are going to, I think, profit you in not just a professional, but a personal sense um, going forward. I think that's really interesting. I, I think that one of the uh, main takeaways from the whole COVID situation is that it, it has it shows very clearly how people struggle with uh, thinking in with the, um, the, the 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 compound growth um, concept in general. And and like what you were saying before, how how fast things can can move from a small number to a big number. Uh, yeah. It's very difficult for the human mind to wrap itself around that. Um, it, one of the most interesting things that we, we uh, took out of your book was that anecdote that you mentioned about the, the, uh, Nate Silver uh, in the 2016 mm -hmm. election between Donald Trump and, and Hillary Clinton. Um, and, and, and so we, we would like to hear from you, how, how do you go about, what, what's the best way to better communicate messages that have embedded or require an understanding of probabilities? I wish I could answer that question in a nice, succinct way because psychologists have been trying to figure out how to do this for decades, how to communicate risk properly. And it's so difficult because if you do it in percentages, people don't really understand. But if you if you try to communicate the nuance, people get mad. Think about how often people get mad at the weatherman who's trying to report mm -hmm. the weather, right? If, if they say, oh, 70% chance of rain and you bring your umbrella and it doesn't rain, you're mad, right? Because it was supposed mm -hmm. to rain. <laughs> it said that it was raining today. And if it says 10% chance of rain and you don't bring your umbrella and it rains, you get mad because it wasn't supposed to rain today. And because you can't wrap your mind around the fact that it's not absolute. It's not zero. It's not a hundred. Nothing in life is absolute. And so it's a constant struggle. How do you communicate? And there's a, been a lot of work done on what the best format is. You know, do we use percentages? Do we use odds? You know, there's a one chance in four. Do we 
use examples? Do we try to make an emotional message? And the answer is we don't really know. None of it is ideal because none of it kind of gets at that underlying problem that it's hard for people to understand nuance because our brain doesn't want to. We do want a straightforward answer. We don't want to know, oh, you know, 75% does not mean 100%. We want to round up. And you see this struggle, not just in things like how do you communicate weather, but how do you communicate environmental disaster risks, you know, risk of an earthquake. What's the risk that my house is going to be, you know, flooded? Um, those are the types of things that people who actually work in insurance and actuaries and people like that have to do for a living. But then when you're the consumer, when you're the human on the other side of that, it's very, very difficult to figure out, well, how do I, you know, what's the actual risk for me? And it tends to be a very emotional decision. And we're mm. bad at understanding also large time frames. So that's why communicating risk of global warming is so difficult because it's so hard mm. to wrap your mind around that. And it's just, it becomes so personal. It becomes so emotional. And there's very little, this is, uh, this is dispiriting. I wish, you know, I had a very good message for communicators who try to communicate risk, but it's, it is dispiriting because there's little you can do when someone has an emotional take on something. You know, even if I tell you that you're, let's say I find a perfect way to communicate, you know, your risk of getting COVID if you wear a mask versus if you don't wear a mask. Well, in the United States, mask wearing has become so politicized that no mm. matter how I communicate, you're not listening to me. You've already kind of made up your mind about what's right and what you're going to do. And so as someone who communicates risk, you're up against the human element. And the human element is really difficult to to be up against because when the human mind doesn't want to internalize a message, it's an uphill battle. I wish I had such a nice answer for you. It's something that I've thought about for such a long time. Um, and it's, it's, it makes me sad to talk about it because there's nothing's perfect when it comes to communicating risk. Yeah. I like as, as investors and, and in the line of uh, investing that I, my team works in it's 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 really 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 hard to communicate this um, the aspect of risk and how to think in probabilities, and we've been trying to explore different different avenues to try to um, be creative around it to see if we could if we can come up with something that it's um, that it's that it's new that will get the message across. I I think in one of the podcast uh, sessions, uh, someone mentioned that the Red Cross was had come up with games to uh, to try to get the message across to people uh, to understand uh, some of the risks that were embedded and how to think in, a, in a, like embed uncertainties and probabilities. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, one of the things that uh, was very powerful in your book is that concept that you keep referring to as the power of variance. And uh, that certainly has an appeal to us as investors and you talk about understanding the dark side of variance and how probability distributions do not care about history or the past. And I was wondering if you could maybe explain to our audience, how do you think about, or how do you embrace variance in day-to-day in -day life, not only in the context of poker, but outside of it, and also how you can use variance to your own advantage, especially in an environment where things might not be going your way. Yeah, um, variance is my way, I mean, it's it's, 
basically the distribution of probabilities and the noise and kind of all of the things that might happen. And so if you are someone who doesn't like, it's what we were just talking about, right? If you're someone who doesn't like nuance and doesn't like to live in the world of the uncertain, then variance can be very, very scary because you want to reduce your variance. You don't want to kind of experience the swings of outcomes. Instead, you want things to be predictable and nice. And the truth about just life in general, not even, let's not talk about poker, is that it's uncertain. And there's a lot of variance in life. And you don't know, no matter how much you try to mitigate your own risk, you simply do not know what's going to happen in the next minute, let alone tomorrow or the next year. And so even if you think that you're, you've done everything you can, things happen and life happens and it doesn't care about you or what you've done. Sure, you know, if you don't skydive, you're probably going to have a lower risk of death than someone who skydives every single day. Sure, you can do things like that, but you might have never smoked a day in your life and get lung cancer, right? Not doing something doesn't mean you're totally eliminating variance. You can reduce it by certain behaviors, but you can't eliminate it. One of the things that poker taught me was that you don't, you never know which way variance is going to go. The best thing you can do is just keep making good decisions and put yourself on the right side of variance in terms of your decision making process, but the outcome is going to be what it's going to be. You can't control it. That's variance. That's chance. And so if I make a decision where I'm a 75% favorite to win, then that's great. I made the right choice. That's wonderful. I should make that choice again, but that means I'm going to lose 25% of the time. And that's true in life, just like it is in poker. And it happens all the time. And you never know when it's going to happen. People tend to think that, oh, you know, if I'm if I've gotten unlucky this number of times, then I'm due. I'm due to be lucky. Or if I've been lucky, then good. I'm going to keep being lucky. And as you say, you know, that doesn't matter. Probabilities don't care about you. They don't have a memory. They have amnesia. It's just totally, variance is just out there and it has no idea who you are. And even calling it, you know, even personifying it the way I'm doing, um, makes it more alive than it actually is. It's just what happens. It's just kind of the outcomes out there in the world. And so if you start understanding that, one of the things, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've taken from poker is that it doesn't do you any good to focus on the variance, to focus on the outcomes, to focus on the things that are outside of your control. That just gets you down because then when something happens that is negative, then you kind of start feeling sad for yourself, feeling sorry for yourself, berating yourself. And when something happens that's positive, you might get very happy and emotional, but you also then might not be thinking clearly. And instead, if you focus on what happened before the outcome, on the things that you actually can control, right? Your, your actions, your reactions, how you deal with the event. If you keep focusing on that, then when you're on the wrong side of variance, when something, when bad things are happening, you can push through that because you realize, oh, you know what? That's just variance. Let me focus on continuing to think well, to react well, to do well. And 
I think that that's very powerful. It allows you to get through those dark patches in a much more emotionally healthy way to be more resilient, to be in a position where you can still take the risks you need to take rather than becoming so scared that you are paralyzed and inactive. And I think that that's a really powerful lesson. And also, I mean, I think that uncertainty can be beautiful. I mean, do you actually want to live in a world where you know exactly what's going to happen every minute of every day, where everything is kind of modeled out and predetermined? I wouldn't. I mean, I think that a lot of the beauty of life is in uncertainty and surprise and the fact that we don't know. And so I think that that can be a really beautiful thing. Poker has definitely made me much more comfortable in the world of uncertainty than I ever have been before. So that's really interesting. And that actually leads me to my next question, which is that you refer to two different concepts in your book uh, that help you to improve your decision making when you were under situations of stress. And the first one is what you refer to as streamlined decisions, which actually make the point that it's mm -hmm. good advice even outside the, way of, uh, the, the world of poker. And the second one is about optimization of your thought process under pressure and other situations. So can you, can you please elaborate a little bit about two, those two concepts and how can you apply them in your day-to-day -day life? Yeah, I mean, I think that those two concepts are so interrelated that it's hard to, it's hard to tease them apart. So I'm just going to talk about them together because streamlining your thought process really is about kind of optimizing a lot of these things. And what I've learned is that the more you have a rubric for just how to go about decisions in general, the more you think ahead, the more you analyze yourself and your mind and your emotions and your reactions and have a plan of action before you're in a situation that's stressful, before you're in a situation that's emotional, the better able you are to do that, the better your decision quality is going to be. It's so common to see someone who, let's say, is a great athlete, who performed incredibly well in college or in high school or whatever it is, then get on the big stage and totally choke, not be able to perform, not be able to do well. And that comes from stress and from pressure and from not having practiced for that type of situation. And I think that's true in almost any sort of decision process. If you're suddenly put into a context where the stakes actually matter, where you're not sitting in the comfort of your home and just thinking through this, when you're actually under the spotlight, when you're stressed, when you're nervous, when you're emotional, it's hard in that moment when that's already happening to make good decisions if you haven't planned beforehand. And so one of the things that I learned to do was to analyze those moments after the fact, try to figure out what made me emotional, how I reacted that wasn't rational, what I did wrong, and then have a plan of action. Okay, what am I going to do next time? If this happens, then I will do this. If you know, I get stressed because someone is bullying me, that happens a lot at the poker table, then I'm going to take you know, two, two deep breaths and I'm going to think about all of these other elements of the decision process. And the key is to 
first kind of do the work required because everyone's different. Everyone reacts differently. Everyone's emotions are different. Emotions make you act in different irrational ways. You know, maybe some people will become more risk averse. Others will become more risk seeking. It just really depends on who you are as a person. So you have to take the time to analyze yourself and actually write things down. Do the hard work. Don't think, oh, you know, I've kind of thought about it, so I'm done. To me, one of the most powerful parts of the process was learning to write down everything I'm thinking, write down my plan of action. And then also when I'm making decisions, before the outcome has happened, write down what I'm thinking. What are the factors I'm considering? How certain am I of them? Why am I considering them in that order? Just actually write down your decision process so that you have an objective record of what you were thinking in the moment so that you can then go back in time after the outcome and have a place where you can analyze what you did right, what you did wrong, what you can improve so that you can make a better decision next time. Oh, that's that's sounds very powerful. Um, we're coming to an end to our tour session, and we we tend we have always um, asked our guests uh, two uh, final questions. One is if you can share with us a decision that you've made in the past where the outcome was the result of bad process rather than bad luck, and the second one is we are avid readers in the value team and we always ask for book, book recommendations you can give us more than one if you have uh, more than one at hand sure um so the first one um when i made a decision where the bad outcome was a result of bad process i mean i used to do that all the time when i was younger um and a lot of the early decisions in my life were were the result of bad process because they were very emotional and i think the what a great example of that um where everything ended up working out but not because of anything good i did was um I, when I moved to New York after college, I ended up quitting my first job um, a few weeks in and it was totally emotional, totally impulsive. I had no money. I had no prospects of another job lined up. I just was really unhappy and I quit. And I, if I wasn't able to find another job, I wouldn't have been able to pay my rent. All sorts of bad things would have happened. It was a really stupid decision because it wasn't thought through and it wasn't something that I said, you know what, I'm unhappy. Um, I should leave, but let me think through what the best way of doing it, what the best timing is, what I should do next. Instead, I was just like, oh, I'm fed up. I hate this. I'm out of here. This was a bad, um, <laughs> bad place for me to be. And that was, I mean, in retrospect, it was so stupid, right? What a, what a, what an emotional, impulsive decision. Um, and yeah, and, and it somehow worked out, but not because I did anything smart. I was actually very dumb, and I would not advise anyone else to do the same thing. Um, making a decision out of an emotional point like that is just never good. It's always nice to um, take some time to reflect and uh, actually make a decision. Exactly. Yeah, just just analyze. Just don't uh, don't don't just jump into a decision because you're feeling all of a sudden overwhelmed or whatever it is. Just pause. 
<laughs> reflect and uh, yeah. and let those emotions out of there. It's a, it's a skill I've had to learn over time. And then in terms of books, I know that in the UK, this has been out for a while, but in the US, it's just coming out. Um, and I'm very excited about it because it's, it's a great book. Um, I would recommend The Data Detective by Tim Harford um, okay. because um, we've been talking about, you know, probabilities and statistics, and he is just brilliant at talking about probabilistic thinking and statistics and how, how to kind of understand them. And I think that his book really makes something that's not very sexy to a lot of people's statistics. Um, it makes it very appealing. And it actually, I think, is a great way, since we were talking about communicating risk and probabilities, he's a great place to start. That's really interesting. Thank you very much for your time, Maria. Really, really thank you. That was fascinating. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>